One is a slow-paced horror bookended by a mystery, the other rife with body horror in a way that only David Cronenberg can provide. The Fly, they remade it. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of They Remade It. I'm your host, Stuart. And I'm your host, Jacob. I immediately apologize if my general energy is a little bit lower sounding at the moment. You know, this has been a time of lots of work on my end of things. So, you know, you know how it is when you're just so competent in everything you do. Everyone's just clamoring for you to do more things. That's me. That's just my daily life. Yeah. And on the other end, usually I'm paid to stay home. But don't worry about that energy level, because I'm sure with today's topic, we can get that up at least to some 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 higher threshold, maybe. Oh, yeah, at least in some capacity with a few of the contexts, but we get ahead of ourselves, I suppose. <laughs> Don't we always? I'm also, I feel I'm obligated at some point to bring up the fact of the weather at a certain point with all these shows, but now this time I actually had a, you know, bit more succinct, like more actually after reasoning for it of, you know, we had a hurricane come through not too long ago, so that was fun. <laughs> I forgot you, I mean, I didn't forget you moved, but I forgot the area you moved to. So yeah, are you like, I, affected by like the storm runoff, I take it? Yeah, just the runoff of it. Um, it had only kind of like reached like tropical storm level by the time it had hit us. So like, like you know, obviously whenever you're in hurricane country, you get any range of, oh, there's no worry to be had to, oh, everyone batting down the hatches at all times, um, which I grew up in hurricane country. So that's a pretty normal thing for me at this point. So they kept talking up about like how powerful it was going to be coming through. And then it kind of got here and it's like, it just, it basically just rained for a solid 24 hours. That's about all. It's not terrible. Eh, it's not terrible. At least you got to see a bit of it. I've. Yeah. Pretty much just been in a tornado country my entire life, and I'd love to live somewhere where that wasn't, you know, a problem, or at least as big a problem as it is. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, hurricane country is not too much better, because, like, I've always said that I fear tornado country a bit less, because obviously if a tornado hits you, you're screwed, but at the same time, it's not very likely to hit you, whereas when you're in hurricane country, it's gonna hit you. And it's going to hit you for in some degree. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's, giant. It's heading for the coast and there's going to be some repercussions afterwards. Um, Yeah. I wouldn't want to live in hurricane country either. I would prefer to live in a place where there is as minimal weather related horrors as possible. No earthquakes, tornadoes, whatever. And I forget where I heard it, but I think Montana (laughs) is the safest state in the country weather wise. But I mean, do I really want to live in Montana? So there's a lot of things to consider. Yeah, having been through Montana with how flat it all is, and plus you can still get those like crazy superstorms that go out over the plains and everything. Like they're not necessarily immediately dangerous, but man, they look freaky. Honestly, if you want to like safety from weather things, North America in general is just kind of a problem area with all the different fucking Gulf streams. Oh no, yeah, certainly, but we are rambling yeah. about the weather. Yeah, we. we <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm, I'm I'm fully delirious. We've also been painting our house and everything. Also, part of which was during the hurricane, which I had to go run out into the rain to go get more paint, which was annoying. Um, but that's a whole other thing. So, I'll I'll bookend this one and go ahead and ask you what you've been watching this time around. All right, sure, but don't leave me. Ha- I'll 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 get the color of the color paint out of you after this recording. It is a plain gray. Ah, uh, that is it. Is exactly. literally we okay. went. We literally went to the site and so went to the one that was the most neutral gray they had, and we did that. Well, I'm sure that you both feel ambiguous or ambivalent toward it. Ambiguous. Considering, <laughs> considering the paint before was a gray purple and was very poorly put on there, it's much nicer. All right, well, that's good. So it's all nice, and all and the paint fumes are only slightly annoying. Oh yeah, well, hopefully uh, you got now that the storms have passed through, you got all those windows open, air out the place. Our windows don't open, actually. That doesn't sound like a win. Well, I guess technically, you know, windows I, just to see through pain. So, but yeah, this, this is a weird house we're in. Okay. Oh, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead and talk about. I could go for hours. Go ahead and talk about what you've been watching. Okay, I should. Uh, all right. So, actually, blissfully light this time around. I did watch a number of things, but um, 
I'm, I'm kind of going to lump a bunch of stuff together. You'll, you'll see why. But um, first, I wanted to just have a little side chat with you just because uh, I don't know if you've seen it. We got a big trailer drop today. Did you uh, get a chance to view that? Uh, the, the Mario one? Yeah, did you see it? I did. What'd you think? We said we'd talk about this when it dropped like three yeah. months ago, and I'm, I'm holding us to that. Yeah. Um. Why, why Chris Pratt? Why? Like, it's just... I, and like the the penguins that run out there with like the really like uncanny valley deep voices compared to like their their little penguin bodies and everything. It's like why? Uh, I don't I don't want this. <laughs> I don't want this. Well, unless we get screwed with uh, a Super Mario Brothers movie part one when I'm sitting in the theater, uh, look forward to an episode mm. on that next summer because I would like to cover it more in depth when it actually comes out but yeah because we can technically do that huh but um yeah uh i mean i still have reservations about pratt and you know after the uh the model for mario came out and you know now we get to see it in motion it's it's like fine but there's a couple oddities about it i'm i'm waiting i'm reserving further judgment until i see peach because i honestly think that could break the whole thing you know how they design humans i'm like okay i can kind of get mario but i'm really morbidly curious about peach so i think i think bowser looks fantastic i think all the like koopa like koopa like um underlings and everything look fantastic um but mario is just teetering on that uncanny valley like a, a hair's width away before it's just disturbing and i think i agree like if, however they show however they show peach that's gonna be the the straw yeah 100 percent i'm Really worried about that. I would like to say that it's funny because I think Jack Black is going to be a lot of fun in the role, just the little bits of dialogue that we got from him. And I mean, come on, it's it's Jack Black. So we yeah, already discussed, come on. I'm sure that's going to be great. I would like to say, <laughs> probably because he's the only person on the cast, uh, you know, that talked in the trailer that is like an actual voice actor that probably lends some credence to it. But Kevin Michael Richardson, the brief lines we got from Kamek, I was like, ooh, that's, uh, I, I like that. I like that rendition. That's a lot of fun. But, you know, oh, yeah. that's, that's not like a big Hollywood actor or anything, so... It's there you nice. go. <laughs> so it's yeah. I still, I still, I wish they had just decided to go. I hate the the illumination thing of just like making things like kind of oddly serious or realistic at times. Like the fact of again, the fact that they gave like all the little penguin creatures just straight up normal deep human voices. It's just it's too weird. Just like you could have given them some fun voices and it would have been a fun time. But the fact that they have to like kind of make it this like pseudo real edge to a lot of these things just i think that's the main reason i think i've hated a lot of their animation styles and everything is just it's just a bit too bizarre for me for me to it just it just ruffles me for some reason yeah no i get it there i mean i have a bunch of smaller things but again i'll have to wait to see him further like mario comes out of the pipe and lands on the mushroom the way the mushroom flops around i'm like i wish that was a little bit tighter it's a bit too loose they're going more for like a realistic cartoon mushroom which is just a bizarre thought process but exactly exactly like just those weird decisions of like why are we making these things realistic yep that is to say i didn't completely hate the trailer i i'm still baffled by some decisions but you know they didn't there were some trailer tropes in there but you know Hardly close to the wild things that everyone, including myself, was positive they were going to be there. And part of that might be because they, I want to know if they had like a draft one somewhere and they started seeing the shit. They're like, okay, we got to like put something else together. We can't use this trailer. Yeah. I just, I hope it turns out okay, but I'm, I'm deeply skeptical. I want it to be this like cute, fun romp, kind of like how Son- the Sonic movies did it, where ultimately they know how absurd it is. And so they just kind of turn it up to 11 with the absurdity. But this one, it's again, that illumination thing of, it feels like it's going to be taking itself a bit too seriously. And so it's just probably going to lose me. I agree. I agree. But yeah, but that was a, you know, four minute aside on a trailer that was half that length. <laughs> I, I, yep. That's our thoughts on the Mario trailer. No need to ask. Look forward to an episode on that next year, unless it gets delayed. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? So I uh, saw a number of things, but the two important, well, quote unquote, important things I'll talk about. I saw in theaters following up on the Ghibli thing. I did see Howl's Moving Castle in theaters for, I think this is the first time I've seen this movie in like over a decade. Um, And uh, I know we've talked about this before because it's one you're a big fan of, and it's one I remember liking okay, but uh, I I always had problems with it and I couldn't remember why. And I was, I was watching, I was watching it in the theater and I was like, this is, they're like juggling a lot of themes here and they're tying them together pretty well. You know, it doesn't feel like anything is, it doesn't feel like they're losing any threads. 
necessarily, mm-hmm. and it's all sort of wrapping in on itself. I was like, this this is this is pretty good. Um, and I couldn't very similarly to Ponyo, I couldn't remember why I had a problem with it, and then the ending hit. And the ending is not as bad as Ponyo's ending. I'll put that out there right now. But I, yeah, I mean that's a, that is a low bar. Yes, let's be real here. <laughs> yes, I I think How's Moving Castle is juggling a lot of things, and ultimately at the end, I think they don't stick the landing on maybe 50% of those things. It feels very rough for a movie that is, it's, it's, uh, it definitely takes its time (laughs) in a lot of places, which is good, you know, get that feeling and you get to breathe in the scenery. But then there are these plot aspects in the finale, not even the third act necessarily, just like the last 10, five to 10 minutes that it's just like, why, why is this, why are we doing this all of a sudden? Why is this happening? Why does that matter? And, uh, that yeah, me it definitely is. <laughs> I think that's kind of a thing with a lot of Ghibli movies is that they are very much about a lot of things happening and a lot of like very kind of like fun vignettes at times um, that kind of the tend to like at least especially in House Moving Castle's case, they still kind of come together in like a good um, cohesive story ultimately. But to that point means that the endings are near impossible to pull off. Like we um, we had seen Key's Delivery Service not too long ago and there's a similar feel to it where it feels like it just kind of like it, it doesn't try to do a whole lot and it just kind of cuts off where they feel the end is pretty much immediately. Like it feels like there's a lot of loose threads that they've kind of left. Like, you know, her cat like loses the ability to speak to her and you kind of think as she gets her magic back, she'll, he'll start talking again, but he doesn't. And so I guess that's just the case now. It's kind of weird. Um, yeah. I've always taken, and so I've always al- taken um, the cat, the cat speaking in and of itself because, you know, she was the only one to hear it. That's like supposed to be symbolic of, Growing up and you're not a kid anymore. Right, right, right. Oh. So that's probably the and that one so that one's definitely like the ending's better. It's just kind of like sudden. I think the only one that I've ever seen that I actually could consider it to be a good ending is Spirited Away. Because that one that one does build up to a pretty climactic point and then it has it at a it leaves it in that, you know, interesting way of like kind of leaving off and kind of leaving you with the questions of how that world will continue, how this girl's life will go on without it and all that sort of thing. And so I think that's probably the best ending in any of the Ghibli films I've seen. I, think, I can't really. I think for that. Can't really think of any other examples. I think for that style, definitely. I, I'd say that that's the reason they're sort of at the top of my list. But Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke, I really enjoy the endings and how everything comes together. But I think Spirited Away is the closest example to Howl's Moving Castle because they're both adventures that are all over the place and have a lot of things no. going on that wrap back into the main plot. Something like Ponyo or Princess Mononoke. Or um, Arietti or any of those other ones. A lot of the time, it's a straight line plot with things mm. happening either on the side or in direct response to what's happening, or they're causing the events that are happening. But more often than not, it's a straight line. And for Spirited Way and How's Moving Castle, it's like a wavy line where it seems mm. to go all over the place, and they're picking up either new characters or plot beats along the way that they then have to handle. And I, so yeah, I think Spirited Way is probably the best comparison to How's Moving Castle in that regard, anyways. And I agree, it it handles it a lot better. At least from what I remember. We'll see when I watch that in theaters next month to end the year of Ghibli. Yeah, true. <laughs> yep. Well, that's one of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's how it's moving. Castle, the other thing I saw in theaters, I was unaware this was happening, but they rebooted Jeepers Creepers, the horror franchise, Oh. into a movie called Jeepers Creepers Reborn. Um, okay. Uh, it It's no good. Uh, it, I can't. I had a feeling. The worst part is, is that the original, mo- like even the first ones, even those aren't good. Like they're not good movies. They're like fun, bad horror movies. I think the second is the closest to being something I could call decent. But the fact that they are already not good, and like I was actually angry at this movie, and not not because like I I love the Jeepers Creepers franchise, you know, I die for it, and this this movie's not living up to my expectations. It was just like bad. It was poorly put together. It has the worst computer graphics I have seen in a theatrical release in a very long time. I gasped in the theater. That was how oh bad God. it was. I, I am not joking. Um, but yeah, I I don't have much to say. But that's the other thing that where it's sort of all tied together because I sort of rewatched those first three Jeepers Creepers movies um, prior to Reborn just so they could be fresh in my mind. And... Already, I thought they were bad movies. Unfortunately, I this is almost like well a well-known secret at this point. I had no idea that the director of the original three movies, even the one that came out in 2017, was like a convicted 
child sex criminal that was in prison for like four years in the 80s. Yeah. I like, did not know that. Um, yeah, like I, I remember hearing about that and just kind of just being baffled that people still are just like okay with that series. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I already didn't really care for it before outside of some cheesy fun, but now it's like, that's not even like a separate artist from art, artist from art like some people can with Woody Allen. That's just like completely too far gone. So suffice it to say, um, although technically we could do Jeepers Creepers Reborn on the podcast, uh, we will not. Or at least I won't. Yay! Um, so Yay! Lion King and Jeepers Creepers. <laughs> Lion King and Jeepers Creepers, we will not be covering. Um, yeah. It, it's good to each have at least one that we're just like hard no on. Yes, that, that's mine. I used my I used my one pull for Jeepers Creepers. So there you go. Well, we can, we can um, have more. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have more. There's a lot of shit ones out there that don't deserve the time of day. I will cover The Beast with 50 Eyes. But I will not cover Jeepers Creepers. Uh, and that's my list. So. Cool. Well, uh, mine was a bit... Mine's a bit less dramatic, I'd say. Okay. Um, we've a uh, uh, first one. I think we uh, we re- we watched the movie because um, there's now a series out of it. Um, a League of Our Own or League of Their Own. I, oh, I, yeah. A League of Their Own. Um, the you know, I be- I believe to be a heavily fictionalized account of the you know first women's baseball league that you know that took place during World War II. Um, you know, pretty pretty tame pretty easy movie ultimately it, it, like you know there's a lot of it's very much the like 90s um tom hanks kind of thing of there's no real major conflict going on throughout it like it's obviously there's you know moments of tension and conflict between characters and things but like it's never it never gets to a point of like tension or anything it's just kind of a nice time it's just kind of fun to watch and i was like yeah this is i'm fine with that um you know solid movie i, I liked it for what it was oh pretty good i love john lovitz in that movie but yeah, we watched that so we can start watching the series that, um, like the series, a league of their own, because it gets a bit more kind of into the nitty gritty of it and talking about the fact that like, hey, a bunch of women going out to play in a very male centric, you know, game out in the middle of the 1940s when all the men are away. Yeah, these women, a lot of these women are not straight. Um, and you know, it obviously goes into that. And again, I have no idea to what degree it's fictionalized or not fictionalized. It definitely felt like in the original movie, it felt like it at times a lot of stuff was very forced heterosexual at a certain point like even without the context of the the show version of it just because like a lot of times where it's like you know oh everyone ends up with this kind of perfect match thing and at times i was like this feels like a 50s film like a 50s psa about like the you know getting a good relationship after the war and shit um but you know i i've I've liked the series so far we've only seen a few episodes in so far it's a lot more intense obviously it goes into it, it doesn't sugarcoat shit nearly as much, you know, like it goes into things like of misogyny and just general sexism rate, a lot of racism. Um, and obviously, you know, um, homophobia and that sort of thing. Right. And so it definitely doesn't shy away from those subjects, which I can definitely appreciate, but still it's, it's kind of, a, it's at times difficult to watch at least on a personal level, just cause it's like, man, I just feel bad for these people. I don't want to see them going through shit. Yeah, no, I, it certainly has more time to pull a lot of those threads together too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so yeah, it's I live I definitely I like each of them for their own reasons, and then each of them has their own weaknesses. So they're both good. Obviously, I'll need to see how the show pans out further. Yes, and um, um, and not to interrupt further, but Gina Davis, you're fine. star of one of the movies we're covering today, is like one of the lead characters in a league of their own. So there you go. In the in the movie, I should say. Yeah, yeah, not the series. No. Yeah, um, not a ton of actors or actresses I recognize in the series. Uh, there's a few. Um, like Nick Offerman plays the character that um, Tom Hanks played in the movie. And he plays a very different version of him, which I actually really like. I thought he was kind of a cartoon in the movie, but yeah, I'm trying to think. And then um, I think Nat Faxon is in that series. And I only know that because he was talking about it on Twitter. I wouldn't know who he oh. plays, but <laughs> I have no idea. Um, And then I had one more that I'm blanking on now and it's driving me insane. Oh, um, Hannah uh, started showing me the show Abbott Element elementary actually. Um, what? What is this? It's kind of like, what's that? I said, what is this? Uh, it's kind of like, it's the, the shorthand way of saying it is basically it's the mod, a new kind of like office, the office style show. Um, kind of the whole thing of like pseudo film crew is, is filming this group of individuals, but instead of an office, it's at a, um, inner city elementary school. Oh, like a mockumentary. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like a mockumentary. And so like, I've, I've never been huge on the mockumentary thing. I never really got into the office or like community and that sort of, well, not, well, not community, um, parks and rec. like parks and rec and that sort of stuff. This one I'm liking more though. Cause like, it actually kind of feels like it has some heart to it. It's not just like people do like weird ass people just doing weird ass things. It's like, yeah, it's obviously still, still weird ass people doing weird ass things, but also it's like genuinely talking about like inner city school systems and like the absolute 
like par- like they're parodying like the lives that these teachers had to go through and everything and for the fact of like yeah no it is actually that rough for them at times um and so i i like it for that that it's got a lot of heart um so i think i've stuck i'm sticking with it a lot better than i think i would have with like the office and that sort of stuff so you know I, again i haven't seen too many episodes so far but you know i'm liking it that's fun i think other than that i think other than that um Hannah and I've been playing some uh, Fallout Four just because, like, I was able to mod it to hell and back. Um, and otherwise, all of my time has been taken up by work. So, yeah, that's kind of the extent of my shit. Don't really have any other items I can think of other than my just usual just playing games when I have the time, which I've had very little lately. Right. It sounds like it. So, shall we get into the kind of the the mutated meat of things as it were Ooh, yeah delightfully delicious play on words there let's uh yeah let's uh go back to a time in history where everyone collectively had more time uh the 50s where i'm sure nothing was happening nothing at all oh, this is the fly First up, we will be talking about The Fly, 1958, directed by Kurt Newman, and based on the short story, The Fly, by George Langalan? Langalan? Langalan. In Montreal, Quebec, yes, this takes place in Canada, scientist André Delambre, voiced, voiced, (laughs) played by David Hedison, is found dead with his head and arm crushed in a hydraulic press. Although his wife, Helena, played by Patricia Owens, confesses to the crime, she refuses to provide a motive and begins acting strangely. In particular, she is obsessed with flies, including a supposedly white-headed fly. Andre's brother, Francois, played by Vincent Price, lies and says that he caught the white-headed fly so that Andre's wife will tell him the truth, uh, explaining the circumstances surrounding Andre's death. In flashback, Andre, Helena, and their son, Philippe, played by Charles Herbert, are a happy family. Andre has been working on a matter transporter device called the Disintegrator Integrator. He initially tests it only on small inanimate objects, such as a newspaper, but he then proceeds on to living creatures, including the family's pet cat, which unfortunately fails to reintegrate, but can be heard meowing somewhere in the void. Uh, Following this is a guinea pig, which he is successfully able to teleport. After he is satisfied that these tests are succeeding, he builds a man-sized pair of chambers. One day, his wife, worried because... uh, he has not come up from the basement lab for a couple days, uh, goes down to find Andre with a black cloth draped over his head and a strange deformity on his left hand. Communicating only with type notes and knocking, Andre tells her that he tried to transport himself, but that a fly was caught in the chamber with him, which resulted in the mixing of their atoms. Now he has the head and left arm of a fly, and the fly has his miniature head and left arm, though he keeps his mind. Andre needs her to capture the fly so he can reverse the process. After she, her son, and their housemaid exhaustively search for it, she finds it, but it slips out a crack in the window. Andre's will begins to fade as the fly's instincts take over his brain. Time is running out, and while Andre can still think like a human, he smashes the equipment, burns his notes, and leads Helena to the factory. When they arrive, he sets the hydraulic press, puts his head and arm under, and motions for her to push the button. Andre's arm, unfortunately, falls free as the press descends, and trying not to look, she raises the press, replaces the arm, and activates the machine a second time. Upon hearing this confession, the chief detective on the case, Inspector Shiraz, played by Herbert Marshall, deems her insane and guilty of murder. As they are about to haul her away, Philippe tells Francois that he has seen the fly trapped in a web in the back of the garden. Francois convinces the inspector to come and see for himself. The two men see the fly, and both Andre's head and arm trapped in the web as Philippe told them. It screams, help me, as a large brown spider advances on it. Just as the spider is about to devour the creature, Shiraz crushes them both with a rock. Knowing that nobody would believe the truth, Francois and he decide to declare Andre's death a suicide so that Helena is not convicted of murder. In the end, she, Francois, and Philippe resume their daily lives. Sometime later, Philippe and Helena are playing croquet in the yard. Francois arrives to take his nephew to the zoo. In reply to his nephew's query about his father's death, Francois death, Francois tells Philippe he was searching for the truth. He almost found a great truth, but for one instant he was careless. The search for the truth is the most important work in the whole world and the most dangerous. The film closes with he and Philippe leaving the yard. Now on to 1986's The Fly, directed by David Cronenberg, and once again based on the short story The Fly. Brilliant but eccentric scientist Seth Brundle, played by Jeff Goldblum, meets science journalist Veronica Qu- 
Quaife, played by Gina Davis, at a meet-the-press event held by Bartok Science Industries, the company funding his work. He takes her back to the laboratory at his warehouse home and asks her to exclusively document his invention, two pods that can teleport objects between them. While the telepods can transport inanimate objects perfectly, they are unable to teleport live tissue, as demonstrated when a baboon is turned inside out after being teleported. As they experiment with the invention, Seth and Ronnie, uh, nickname for Veronica here, begin to form a relationship. Using two stakes, one a control and one teleported, Seth discovers that the machine is creating a synthetic version of biological material rather than the object itself. He, he reprograms the system to understand the makeup of living tissue and successfully teleports a second baboon. Ronnie departs before they can celebrate, and Seth worries that she is rekindling her relationship with her editor, Stathis Borens. Borens, played by John Getz. She actually left to confront Stathis about a veiled threat spurred by his jealousy of Seth to publish his telepod story without her consent. While drunk, Seth teleports himself alone, unaware that a housefly has entered the transmitter pod with him. He emerges from the receiving pod seemingly normal. After Seth and Ronnie reconcile, Seth exhibits sugar cravings and increased strength, agility, stamina, and sexual potency, which he believes resulted from the teleportation purifying his body. Ronnie becomes increasingly concerned about Seth's deteriorating sanity, as well as strange bristly hairs growing from a wound on his back and developing sores on his face. When she expresses her worries, Seth becomes aggressive, insisting that the process is beneficial. He tries to force Ronnie to undergo teleportation, teleportation, but she refuses. Following this, Seth goes out to a bar and partakes in an arm wrestling match, leaving his opponent with a compound fracture. He brings a woman named Tawny back to the warehouse where they have sex. After that, Seth tries to coerce her into teleporting. However, Ronnie intervenes and Seth throws her out. When his fingernails begin falling off, however, he realizes something is indeed wrong. He checks his computer's records and discovers that the telepods confuse the two life forms, fusing him with the fly at the molecular genetic level. Seth continues to deteriorate, losing body parts along with his human appearance. After several weeks, he reconnects with Ronnie and reveals he is slowly becoming a hybrid creature that is neither human nor insect, which he has nicknamed Brundlefly. He has also begun vomiting digestive enzymes onto his food before eating and is able to cling to walls and ceilings. He also discovers that he is losing his human reason and compassion and is now being driven by primitive impulses he cannot control. Seth installs a fusion program into the telepod computer, planning to dilute the fly genes in his body with human DNA. Ronnie discovers that she is pregnant with Seth's baby and has a nightmare of giving birth to a particularly horrifying giant maggot. 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 She demands that Stathis persuade a doctor to perform an abortion in the middle of the night, but Seth overhears Ronnie's fears and abducts her before the procedure occurs. He begs her to carry the child to term since it may be the last remnant of his humanity. Stathis breaks into Seth's lab with a shotgun, but Seth disables him, using his corrosive vomit to destroy Stathis' hand and foot, stopping just short of vomiting acid onto his face when Ronnie screams at him to stop. Seth reveals his final plan to Ronnie. He will use the telepods to fuse the two of them, along with the unborn baby, into a single entity to become the ultimate family. During a struggle, she accidentally tears off his jaw, which triggers his final transformation, shedding his decaying flesh to become a monstrous, insectoid human creature. Seth traps Ronnie in the first telepod, puts himself in the other, and begins the countdown. A weakened Stathis recovers his shotgun and severs the cable connecting Ronnie's telepod to the computer. Seth breaks halfway out of his own pod, but the fusion process activates, gruesomely amalgamating him with a chunk of the telepod. Seth crawls to Ronnie and places the end of the shotgun to his head, silently begging her to end his suffering. Looking on at the creature that was once Seth Brundle, she tearfully fires, killing him instantly, then falling to her knees in despair. And that's the fly! It was gross. Either way, obviously. Oh yes, of course. But I'm sure we'll have more thoughts about that after this. Alright, so I didn't properly introduce it, but this is the Full Circle segment. Of course, you've probably heard the theme song, so maybe that's uh, arbitrary information. Anyways, moving right along, we've got... your brains. Yeah, think critically. Uh, we have a couple of items here to cover, not too many. Um, firstly, we have Bess Flowers, who was a lady at the ballet in 58's The Fly, and she was lady outside jewelry store in 51's The Day the Earth Stood Still. So uh, just this lady really getting around town. Yeah, she's just... She's just hanging out. She's she's had a weird few days. Like I like to imagine the fly happens just a mere few days before the day the earth sits still or something. Yeah. She's like, oh my goodness, I was just at the ballet with that with that man that killed himself in his lab, and now aliens are here. Great. Just another day in the 1950s. I was wrong when I said it was un uneventful. With aliens and flies, and <laughs> human flies. And, ah, but uh, next, uh, for 58's The Fly, we have Kathleen Freeman, who played Emma, uh, the uh, housemaid. She was also Millie Lemon. In 1963's The Nutty Professor, so the Jerry Lewis one, uh, I don't remember the character of Millie Lemon, but I, I remember Kathleen Freeman very well, so. 
Next is Torben Meyer. He was Gaston in 58's The Fly, uh, and he was also Brown Derby head waiter Nick in 1932's What Price Hollywood. Um, Lord. <laughs> which, is that the oldest movie we've... No, because we've done both Seven Chances and Thief of Baghdad, so... Never yeah. mind. And the last one, and perhaps the most interesting, I think, uh, that we have for 58's The Fly is Betty Lou Gerson, who was... Uh, the nurse that appeared, the primary nurse that, you know, near, was trying to kill that fly. Uh, she voiced Cruella DeVille in Disney's 101 Dalmatians just three years later. Oh. Huh. Wouldn't have, wouldn't have put that one together. Yeah, I had no idea. And, of course, uh, for 86 is the fly, we only have one, but it's a big one. It's Jeff Goldblum, who was Seth Brundle in the fly, and he played David, David Levinson in both Independence Day movies that we covered earlier this year. Let's see again, Mr. Goldblum slash Blum. You weird motherfucker. I said you twice in 2022. Is is it Bloom or Blum? Uh, the way he responded to that question was, how dare you speak to me? Is that real? I'm not that, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's an honest joke. I mean, that's a thing he did one time. Yeah. Okay, it's like, I people always that. ask me, it's like, is it Goldblum or Goldblum? And I always responded on the same way. How dare you speak to me? All right. That is funny. <laughs> I was, I was curious because it's like, everyone says Steve Buscemi, but when you ask him in an interview, he goes, it's Buscemi, but I just don't correct people. So I was honestly curious, like, oh, is it Gold Bloom or Gold Blum? But he doesn't seem to. Uh, who fucking knows? <laughs> oh, but why don't you take the reins for a second? I think just like with the recounting of the plot lines and everything, every now and again, like different kind of thoughts will kind of come back to mind that I, I didn't really, maybe not have thought about at the time, but definitely think of upon like being you know recounted the plot. Where does a dude get two different baboons from? Just to like have. <laughs> Like, I know they were funding his experiments and everything, but there's got to be something you got to sign to just, like, own a baboon, let alone two. I assume that Bartok Science Industries was funneling these things from the zoo at night. I guess. I just, I really did not think about it until then. It's like, oh, yeah, this dude just straight up just has two baboons hanging out in his house. I mean, very swiftly soon after one, but it's just, it didn't really, it just kind of only struck me as like, no, that's, that's weird, right? That's definitely weird. <laughs> um, which, like, it feels like there's a lot of, moments in like 80s films where they feel like they have to have this feels like an oddly specific cut but it feels like there's a lot of moments where they tried to have like monkeys and that sort of thing in movies so that like actors could interact with them because like that's now in a time when you could like have a certain level of animal training and everything that could do that that wasn't also just straight up abusive and so it's just kind of funny to think about it's like i feel like there's been a lot of other like especially like kids movies and stuff that had that that sort of like interaction but now it's just in the fly Soon after, like, you know, when he's, like, kind of hugging the, the baboon that survives, we're meant to forget that. No, he just straight up turned one inside out a few minutes ago. Yeah. I mean, he even apolo- he even is holding the baboon and apologizes to it. Like, sorry, I killed your brother. But Yeah, which it's just majorly kind of fucked. But, you know, that whole movie is. Yeah. But I'll get into more points of that. I really just had that at the forefront of my mind for that one. Um, but the bigger one I wanted to talk about was for the original, the 1958 one. Was was it just me, or did you get the vibe, too, that it just kind of felt like that whole movie was just an advertisement for the 1950s? Just, like, in general, it feels like. It very much imbibed the 1950s. Because, like, like, we have done a few movies at this point that, in that earlier era, kind of, like, Scarface to some degree, and a few other ones, like, you know, um, like the remake of, for the the first remake for A Star is Born. It just, it feels like, there's always that kind of sense of, there's a lot of preachiness going on at times, it almost feels like. But it felt like, especially for this one, it just really was just like extended diatribes talking about like the mar the marvels of the modern era and all that sort of stuff. Like way more than even it felt like at par- like parodies of of movies from that time period would have done. Like when he started describing like the whole process of like how the disintegrator integrator, which is such a stupid fucking name for a device, I just gotta say, um, just going on and talking about like how. You know, it's like we we are teleported from between these two locations in the same way that the images on your television screen are teleported, and all these different things, and like going on and on about like the modern technological marvels that he is now becoming a part of, and all these things. I was just at a certain point, just want to be like, okay, at what point do you end up in the in the press? Because like I'm wanting that to happen sooner and sooner. <laughs> I I don't know when it was, but I mean, ever since like the turn of the 19th century, we start we had been like messing with atoms and things like that. But yeah. I think it was in the 1950s when we started like developing honest. They got like particle accelerators and started working with yeah. particle physics. So that might have had a hand in it. Maybe it was just in the in the co- public conscious. Conscience. Yeah, like once the Manhattan Project had kind of like not necessarily broken open, but like once all the results 
of that started making its way into kind of the the public zeitgeist, at least with like new products and like new research initiatives and everything. Um, it became pretty commonplace. I mean, that's where the, the term nuclear family comes from. It's not for like any sort of like literal atomic thing. It's literally just because like a type of family during the nuclear age. Right. Um, and so that definitely became a very popular subject, especially into the fifties, like especially the late fifties, it feels like, because early on it was still kind of like a touchy subject because of like, Oh yeah, we blew up two cities with these things. Um, but by the end of it, it was like, then it became popular. So yeah. Hmm. Huh. I wonder you can, you can just make anything entertaining at the end of the day. It feels like, huh? Yeah. I didn't have to be there, but it was televised and, uh, look cool. Boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, that's certainly a firework, if, if nothing else. Ooh, yes. Um, you gotta but, wonder um, the types of things that he built and sold to the government because they made they like Vincent Price's character throws that out there. You know, yeah, he's not just making things for fun. But also, like, he is definitely a Canadian national at the very least. Like, he's not. I wonder where exactly his stuff was oh. being sold to at the end of the day. I'm starting to think, Mister Mister um, Delambre had a few, you know, the. A few Russian friends at the end of the day. That I mean, that's like, where the hell was he getting some of that tech? <laughs> that's true. I honestly, I didn't know they were in Quebec. I missed that part of the movie until I was reading the synopsis. Um, I don't so, think they ever explicitly say okay, it. Okay, so I was like, just in the movie, I was like, why are, I mean, it's fine that they're all French, but it's at the very time, at the same it's, time, it's an odd choice. I was like trying to wrap my head around it. And now I guess I know. <laughs> I know why. I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet that if we look into the original short story, the original author of that short story probably was um, from Quebec. And so that's probably where he got like his sense of like, you know, context and everything, which like, you know, that's a simple enough thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did otherwise, yeah, it did kind of, for whatever reason, just, I know it's, you know, it's the, the Anglo-Saxon in me talking, saying this, but like, ultimately it's like, nothing takes me out of an experience more than having to relate to the French. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, the that's horribly French. rude. That's in no way serious, but uh, the, the point stands of like, it was kind of weird to just throw out of like, Oh, just everyone's very casually, extremely French. And it, I mean, it, yeah, it, it had to have come from like the short story or at least the author's background, maybe because it's not really, it, again, it's fine that they're French. It's just not like doing anything. So at the time it felt like a meaningless decision but maybe it's also meant to give like some level of separation from like the united states or something of like oh these horrible inhumane experiments they're not being done by you know blue-blooded americans (laughs) or whatever in montreal yeah just pin it on the canadians (laughs) not just the canadians the french canadians the ultimate enemies of the red hot blooded american (laughs) um but yeah it's it's a little it i don't know it's just there's a whole general vibe of the movie i couldn't really get behind in general like the fact that they have Vincent Price in this and he's not the main character. Like every time he was on screen, I thought he was obviously dynamite because it's fucking it's Vincent fucking Price. I was not a huge fan of David Hedison. I'm going to be honest. I think he was kind of dull. He was extremely bland. And I'll say this right now. This is one of those things where I don't just throw around the word favorite. I am. I have this weird thing in my mind where I draft up specific favorites and I stick to them unless something comes along to be thrown it. Vincent Price is in my top five favorite actors for all of his horror mm. work. And um, I, I think I was blinded by the fact that Vincent Price was in it when I first saw this movie, uh, The 58th Lie, which was in college. Um, Yeah, it was in college the first time I saw this. It was like a horror movie night, and the only movies we ended up watching were The Tingler and The Fly, two horror movies with Vincent Price in them. Um, So I remember really liking it, but on this rewatch, I was like, ah, this is so dull. I am so bored. It's real. It's real dull, <laughs> and he isn't is it? Waste. Vincent Price is completely wasted in this. Not that he's drunk. He, they, he's yeah. not being utilized. I will also say, though, to then kind of like shift back over to the remake as well. I was kind of surprised by how much languid amount, like how much there like languid feel there was in the 86 version as well. Because like it really at least like, like uh, the original one at least had a sense of a continuous plot. But it really did just kind of feel like the 86 one. It just kind of went in cycles of, you know, girl like girl goes over to uh you know ronnie goes over to seth's place they have some amount of interaction with the teleporter they leave there's some level of like strain whenever they go or whenever they come back together repeat throughout it until until the end when one of them is dead it's like it was weird seeing that cycle kind of go on as we're watching this man turn into a complete and utter freak of nature it's like I, I kind of would have assumed, and I think I think there's um, a few sequels actually to to the this this the '86 film um, that I think goes into this, but I, I would have hoped to have some other wider interaction with the world with the way that they were kind of going about it, 
like because as it was there really wasn't much for them to do it really was just them being in a room watching you know jeff goldblum being in increasingly like obviously incredibly convincing makeup and effects and everything like don't get me wrong that that kind of sold the whole thing ultimately but otherwise it's just kind of like oh you know this sucks just kind of just move on continue forward just do it again tomorrow whatever the fucking the, the fucking cycle of things is um to to the first point i will say there are there are a number of sequels there's actually two sequels for the 58 movie uh curse oh. curse of the fly and revenge of the fly <laughs> uh okay i have not seen them i do not know what they are about but they are official sequels to the movie um and there is one didn't expect that there is one sequel to the 86 movie which follows um their son uh, gotcha the son I, f- that I figured that'd be the case to. yeah so um the- which like okay the fact that she did not immediately then go to a doctor to get that thing aborted was is absurd like i'm just gonna be real here it's like okay you saw what that thing what he turned into like i'm sorry lady you're insane to not put that on ice i'm sorry and she was going to she she was going exactly to, i i never mind like seeing him like deteriorate before her eyes and like ripping his jaw off no that I, no amount of like sympathy and like oh he's still in there somewhere would no <laughs> the only amount of him that was still in there was at the very bitter end when he begged her to blow his head off yeah. and i'm pretty sure that was only because he was suffering from having a chunk of metal through his chest up until that point he was a like an asshole i am I, i'm i obviously i knew the beats of this movie and i was aware of the body horror aspect but i had not seen the 86 fly up until this viewing and i was unaware that jeff goldblum is like the villain of the movie Oh yeah, like, I didn't. Which I actually that. really liked. I actually did really like that because I do. I I love a good you know, you know, science like you know hubristic scientist kind of story. Um, very like original Jekyll and Hyde story, which a lot of people don't realize. Doctor Jekyll is the fucking villain in Jekyll and Hyde. Um, but I I do like that significantly more again versus the fifty eight version, just because really just again David Hedison's so dang dull, and it really just is just like oh he just kind of fucked up, and that's kind of all that happened. Whereas, you know, obviously, you know, there's the work of, like, his brain basically deteriorating in the 86 film. But, you know, there's definitely a lot of his own hubris and his own kind of, like, like basically a little kind of a bit of incel kind of flying in there at the end um, of just, like, his, like, desires and everything. Like, it's, like, more pushed down desires coming out now that he has all this power and everything. Yeah, um, it's the instinct that's so reflected I, on. It's, it's, very, it's very much a reflection of who this character was the entire time. And... No. It's just coming out. And I mean, it's it's not even like it's that explicit necessarily at the beginning of the movie, but the way Jeff Goldblum plays it, and to be honest, the way Jeff Goldblum plays a lot of his roles, because that's just how he is, you you can get that this guy is like kind of a prick, even if he's not actively yeah. being a prick. Yeah, like he, like all the different things, like he kind of fashions himself, like the fact that he only has like a one particular kind of suit that he like he says he learned it from Einstein and that sort of thing, where it's like on its own, that might be kind of an innocuous statement, but you kind of think more on it. It's like, no, this guy thinks he's hot shit and that's kind of annoying. Yeah. Um, and so I do like the subtleties with that. And I really think they were trying to do that with the 58 one. But at the very least, like I, I still can't tell where the ultimate message was trying to be. In the 58 one, because the way it preaches about shit at a certain point, I figured there's going to be something. And it ultimately does kind of come to that point. Like, it's like, you know, it's talking about, like, the danger in searching for the truth and, like, the danger in, like, pushing the boundaries of science and that sort of thing. But, like, also, it feels like it's a mixed message because they've been talking up that search and discovery for all this time. But it ultimately resulted in a man having to commit extremely violent suicide because he's a freak of nature. (laughs) Right. Well, and also, like, that speech that Vincent Price gives, ultimately, the message of it is... Like, no, that's fine. Go ahead and do what your dad did. Not exa- not necessarily. He's not necessarily saying do exactly what the, what dad did. But you know, he's like, your dad was an explorer. He he messed around with things, and unfortunately, you know, it's a dangerous job. And the son's like, oh, I want to be an explorer like him someday. And Vincent Price is like, oh, well, that's just fine by me. And then you know, they walk <laughs> off. It's like, okay, <laughs> that's the message like, of the movie. It's like what. Did we all not watch the same shit happen? Like, if I were watching the, in that audience, I'd be like, I'm never exploring jack shit, if that's what could happen. And you could say that, like, Price or Francois, whatever, didn't witness his brother's demise, but he did because he saw the he saw the, the, the man fly in the, in the web about to be eaten by a spider, I, which if I saw that, I would be inconsolable. I would lose. Like, I gotta say, uh, and just because like, you brought up the point, this is just a brief aside, which of the endings, like, 
left you more impacted between these two movies? Was it the one with the body horror with Cronenberg or was the one of just truly straight up watching this man scream his last, this fly thing that does not know what it is anymore? Uh, I mean, ultimately, I like the ending of the 86 one more overall, but impact-wise, impact yeah. I think that the 58 one is more horrifying, <laughs> even with the body oh. horror and like the, the merging, obviously, it's there's a lot I, of emotionality uh, there. Like the thing that the 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 French inspector guy kind of says there, it's like those screams will haunt me for the rest of my life. I was sitting there kind of thinking, like, you know what? Yeah, man, I kind of agree. The the way they did it up to the end is like tiny screams of watching this dude like clearly like semi emaciated and all this shit, like of what this poor fly creature has gone through. It's just so it was a haunting. Truly, <laughs> I was like, well, this is terrible. Yeah, I and can we say Inspector Shiraz is the only sensible character in that entire fucking movie? Even oh my even God, Price yeah. near the end, like he's like vouching for the fly, and I get he wants to protect her, but he's like vouching for her with his story, and it's like I you haven't seen this, and you don't have proof of proof of it, and she definitely admitted to killing him, so you're kind of going off about nothing, like the and the the, the housemaid, it's like I don't care if <laughs> she keeps trying to kill kill these flies around the house, and she keeps getting screamed at, and then she acts all pissy, it's like. You were told by your employer not to kill flies, and you are still killing flies. Fuck you. Yeah, like, just, uh, it's weird, I know, but, like, just stop doing that. Yeah, if, if you, or, or at the very least, or when you get, get screamed at, be like, well, I, I mean, she, she, she's done this before. I don't know. I'm not, yeah. I'm not sticking up for abusive employers. I, I just, I, she, she, I feel like she had the upper hand in that scenario at, at, at any rate. Yeah. God, that, that was just a, such a weird just family in general that whole situation oh yeah 100 percent. it's like trying to, like yeah i think it really does like, i think what's really interesting about watching a lot of these older movies back is kind of seeing what like it kind of it kind of now comes across in it as a different message kind of going on like back then they're obviously trying to like, give this whole thing of like the nuclear family and the tragedy that they've gone through and all this other stuff but like when you watch it with kind of a modern lens you kind of just see how truly broken and weird that family is of just having this extremely eccentric doctor like our scientist who's been working in their basement with what is almost certainly highly radioactive shit and just like all this weird stuff going on and like these kind of like just weird behaviors that they all have because like the fact that his wife reacts to that situation ultimately with such cold precision in the end like i'm sorry like if all of a sudden my loved one like turned out with a head of a fly and everything i'm losing my mind i'm not going to be calm cool and collected helping them kind of fix their mistake situation i am i'm going to burn everything to the ground this is the most fucked up thing i've ever seen yeah i i would be horrified the fact that she like the fact that she was going like full on, I have to help my husband at that moment. Really, just told me like that was not a healthy household beforehand. I'm sorry, <laughs> it's just so weird. I mean, obviously, you know, it's as if the you know relationship dichotomy is any better in the remake, but still, at least there's like you know, at least they react to it pretty realistically. No, yeah, and and I mean, they weren't. I mean, that wasn't healthy, but it wasn't portrayed as like the ultimate love necessarily, and they they didn't like they weren't like married with years of experience either. So it feels a bit yeah. more naturalistic, I think. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like it just also just gives me a like a more fond look at this original one, but not in the way that they intended, because it's just like it just does make it feel like a more other world, not necessarily otherworldly, but truly like more, more tension filled situation than it really kind of ended up trying to do, because as it was like not a whole lot ended up happening in the end. It was just like, oh, I had this teleportation thing. Oh, I fucked up. We need to fix it. Can't. OK, I'm going to die. That's it. Meanwhile, we get to see Jeff Goldblum go truly to the circles of hell with his transformation. It's just like, which I think at this point, I'm just looking for, you know, depth and things to like that really weren't there to begin with. But you know what? That's a fine interpretation. Fuck yeah. it. We're, we're allowed to do that. I mean, something I really enjoy about the 86 film just overall is that in the same way that the 50 ones kind the 50s one kind of fits the 50s. It feels like a commercial for the 50s. A lot of the set pieces are very 80s in the 86 one. Sans his lab. Mm -hmm. By the time you get into his lab, it's like. It's a dream, like, studio apartment sort of space, you know, that you would see, like, an artist in. Like a warehouse apartment. Yeah, um, I, it's been too long since I've seen it, but After Hours, the Scorsese film, I think I talked about on the show earlier this year, maybe? There's a scene in that where he's, so. yeah, he's, like, going to see, like, this woman that makes sculptures, and it's a very similar, you know, this warehouse apartment sort of space, um... And it's all blue and lit by these these weird lights. And, and honestly, the science stuff doesn't even take that much 
take up that much of it. Like, um, there's one point in the movie where Goldblum is already, you know, he hasn't begun, begun transforming, but he's been merged with the fly and he's feeling, you know, up and at him. And he, he goes out and starts doing acrobatics on this bar in the middle of the thing. And it's like, you, you could not be doing this anywhere else. This is, this is the place to, to be. <laughs> this is the dirty dancing scene. Yes. And yet it doesn't feel like real life. It's, yeah. it's so dreamlike. Which, like, and, and I enjoy, I honestly enjoy that. I love that out of a whole. Oh, yes. There is, there is a thing about the 80s where they really did kind of get that weird pseudo reality feeling just about perfect. Nowadays, when you do it with how perfected technology is, you usually just kind of end up with like, again, like more uncanny valley situations. Um, and so it's, I do, I do agree. I do love kind of that whole feel of it. Just like that unreality as it starts to set in of just like, okay, anything could happen in this space. And in the end, anything fucking does. Yes. Um, and you know, you, you just can't, you don't get that in the same way nowadays. Like you can obviously like have a similar feeling. You just have to do it a different way. And so I do love like just that, you know, that kind of omnipresent kind of mist that's in there and everything. And just this clear desire to not make it like pr- perfect and prim and proper. Like, I've talked about it on here before, like a lot of older movies, they tended to create spaces that truly felt like lived in spaces. Like they let them be filthy. They let them be disorganized and all those sorts of things. And nowadays you see a lot of the same, even in the same like remakes of the same horror series, like a big, good example is the scream series. Um, it just feels like every house and every room just feels like a fucking Instagram ad waiting to happen. It's just like, God, do you, and does anyone live here? Like I, like I've lived in places that required strict, like cleanliness levels. And it wasn't, it wasn't anywhere near this level. This is like psycho obsessive level. Yeah. No, I it's just, it. yeah, I, I miss these kind of spaces and the ability to pull yeah. things like this off in the movie. And like I said, especially for a horror movie, it gives, it gives it a very, specific feeling especially when things start to go down because you'll be outside either in her apartment or you'll be in the uh the the magazine offices you know one of the cubicles there one of the offices there where she's talking to her editor and ex um and it's like okay this Which is that's because that's not a terrible dichotomy yeah. to have my god <laughs> and it, it's very much you know the 80s feeling but then inevitably because that's where the plot's happening you have to climb those stairs and you have to make it to that that large steel door that slides open and you're like, okay, this is, this is where everything, and there's, even though it's not like, oh, I'm going to get jump scared. There is like a small feeling of dread going in there because of the way Cronenberg especially works with body horror. You know, if you're the type of person to get squeamish with stuff like that and you watch him transforming and like, he's ripping nails off in the bathroom and popping pus out of his fingers or whatever, you start to get that feeling in the back of your neck. Whenever, you know, someone's climbing those stairs and they get to that door, you're like, oh, don't open that door. I don't want to oh, see yeah, what's like, in there. <laughs> yeah, like as far as and I've always been like I think body horror is probably the horror that gets me like that gets me more than anything else and it always has. I mean, you know, I'm the kid who got like terrified of the trailers of the Son of the Mask movie from back Ooh. in the day. Um well like just just for the sheer fact of like the the body horror on display was just haunting. Um <laughs> and this one does it to a T. Like this one yeah, the, like dread is definitely the best feel is be- the best word for the feeling of every of all this going on. It's just like my god like it's just, it's just like every time you're just like man what's it gonna what sort of fucked up shit is he gonna look like next and every time you think it's it's gone as bad as it can it somehow jumps another shark until the very very bitter end where he's literally a human fly hybrid having now been merged with a huge hunk of metal it's like i didn't think it could get worse than when he turned fully into a fly no it's he's this he's now writhing in active pain this is horrifying and, and you know the best part about the art of Cronenberg and how he's able to pull stuff off like this is say you're completely not only unfamiliar with Cronenberg and his work but you're unfamiliar with the fly specifically the 86 fly you don't know anything about it you've never seen anything from it and you're just watching this movie and you know it's a horror movie you know the tagline be afraid be very afraid and you see the baboon scene the first baboon scene and you know there's the bloody handprint on the glass and a lot of horror movies you know that's it it's like oh no it the the test didn't go well obviously there's the blood that's the scare and then it goes inside the pod and you see this puppet on the ground that's inside out and like twitching that is like the first horror of the movie so now when jeff goldblum gets hairs on his back and he starts developing pustules you're horrified the entire time even if it's it's relatively tame by comparison because you see it evolving and you remember that baboon and you're like what is this going to be what is this going to turn into yeah. and you're just thinking about that yeah, the like whole what's, time 
like we just saw a creature's insides what's going on inside him yeah <laughs> and that's the genius of having that bamboo so so close to the beginning of the movie not just to set up the yeah. story but like to set up the way the scares work oh i love yeah it. so like as it is i i can truly never consider the original to be a horror maybe a thriller more closely a mystery mm-hmm. um like you said like you said in the beginning um yeah, the 86 one is about as quintessential like 80s horror as you can get, despite even despite the kind of moments of the plot that I kind of lambasted earlier, which even now thinking back on it was probably just the whole point of it. it the, the cycle of that was meant to it's that continuous build up and kind of waning down between those kind of major excursions of like, OK, we see things kind of normal. Oh, we've been introduced to something pretty terrible. Oh, now there's a wider bad implication going on. Oh, it's getting worse. Oh, it's getting worse. Oh, my God, please make it stop. <laughs> it's not stopping up to the point when she rips his jaw off and you're like, oh, yep, here we go. And, and then it just like yep. starts, which in and of itself is like horrifying. And that's a great monster design. One of the great monster designs. Oh, yeah. Though. My God. Also, if I want to be like horrible cinema sins, whatever, I'm like, why did why did her ripping off the jaw trigger like his feet to explode? I don't know, <laughs> but I don't really care. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, listen, we were able to look over the fact that this dude just has two baboons in his house in general, <laughs> so like, we can look over some other stuff. It's fine. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. It's just yeah, and obviously, like, there are times when it's easier to kind of it's it's harder to tell which ones are better, but yeah, no, it's it's impossible to not call the eighty six one better, like despite like. The it felt like the fifty eight one was trying to do something, but it, it, like we said before, it feels like it was just kind of muddled by the end of like, oh, it's ultimately this search for truth, but and yet this ultimate search for truth ended in about as horrifically a way as he possibly could have. So, what are we meant to be encouraged by here? Was was there a lesson, or was this just like one of those Twilight Zone episodes where it's basically like, damn, wouldn't that have been fucked up? Anyway, I'm Rod Serling. Yeah, I unfortunately the ultimate downfall of the fifty eight one is just. Yeah, it's trying to do some some interesting things, but it it doesn't really pull them off. It doesn't have a core cast, primarily the two leads. Well, that's not even fair. It, David Hedison, I will say, does not really pull it together for me. But um, yeah. I, I will say Patricia Owens, as his wife, fucking pulls it together every manic episode that she has in like the screaming fit. She's oh, she's trying. Yeah. She is trying very hard. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like and that's like what I was saying before. Of like, I think she was just kind of this undercut, like this. Um, kind of sleeper performance with the situation of truly implying what this household was before was what it was like before all of the events of this, which again is in no way I'm sure what they were going for, but I like to take that interpretation because it's really just weird. And just seeing how her, re- she reacts to all these things. Yeah. It's like, that is not the reaction of a healthy mind. I'll tell you. Yeah. She, she may not be crazy, you know, in regards to the, the, the series of events that have unfolded, but I mean, the stuff that she's witnessed would impact anybody in a negative way. And she reflects that pretty well, but I, it's just yeah. the movie drags and like at one point it's like okay he's teleporting stuff now they're going to the ballet it's like why are we at the ballet just when are we going to get to the yeah. Vincent Price factory is what I was asking the entire time yeah. <laughs> it's yeah it's just like it, it, there's so many subtle things that were there that really probably weren't intentionally and the fact that I was searching so hard for them really just tells me yeah this movie was a drag like it, it, it like there's so many different because and there are good kind of like bug related horror films at the time. Like there's still them, which I still love as a film. I think it's absurd, but I love it. Them is goofy, um, but it, it, goofy, but it is, it is a uh, horror fun. Yeah. And like this one could have been that it just, it just still felt just a bit too preachy to see like if that was actually anything intentional. <laughs> and goddamn, if it's not fucking hilarious, watching get Jeff Goldblum do anything seriously. Yeah, it's it's nice to know that across time he never truly changes. Yeah, he's like, and like he just has his long, you know, periods of absence from Hollywood, and he comes back in like a cicada. It's just kind of like, oh, hey, good to see you again, man. Anyway, see you in the next sometime ten years or so. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see you later, Bug Man. You're always Bug Man to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's a pretty concise verdict on this one. It's it's hard to. It, it wasn't quite shooting fish in a barrel, but you know, it certainly was a small pond. Yeah. Definitely. I and, and and that's the thing is that I didn't go into this thinking that way necessarily either, because I had a fond memory of the fifty eight movie. And it, it it's it's not like a pinnacle of horror in the same way that like the universal movie monsters are, like Wolfman or the creature from the Black Lagoon or whatever, but it is well regarded enough. Yeah. It was enough to get a couple sequels and to get a good a really good remake out of it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I guess I gotta I guess I gotta look into those sequels. See what's going yeah, on there. I, 
it's like I can't imagine the 58 ones will be any grander, but I feel like I've seen a few scenes from the 86 sequel and they're the effects are pretty intense from what I saw. Well, I'm excited. Is it uh Cronenberg returning for that? I don't know. Hmm, interesting. Do interesting. not know. I'd be willing exactly. to check it out. I, I know at the very least it's about their son, like, trying to stop the transformation because he knows that he's going to suffer the same fate. But that's it. I don't yeah. know anything else about it. Oh, the, according to this, there's apparently, um... Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, I, I was about to be like, yeah, it's, there's a comic series uh, in 2015, actually. Um, and then The Fly 2 uh, in 89, it is not Cronenberg, it is Chris Wallace. Chris Wallace, okay. Don't know the guy. I I can't say I do either. <laughs> oh, he did. Uh, he oh, well. he did creature effects in the fly. So he 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 like helped Cronenberg puppet the fly stuff around. Oh, cool. Right, well, if you're gonna get anybody, get someone who knows how to do the horror. I guess. Apparently, apparently, Gina Davis didn't want to reprise the role, and to that point, the mom, the, the Ronnie character, like dies soon after giving childbirth. Oh, well, so. there you- <laughs> oh no! It's like, oh well. Well, she was, yeah. We're definitely rambling now. No, no, we are. Not intentionally, but yes. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, I just got completely distracted, but Guillermo del Toro was also thinking about doing a second, like, sequel like to The remake? Fly. The 86 Fly. Oh. It would be, like, a different The Fly 2. <laughs> okay. I guess, oh, that fell, okay, I guess that fell through, though. Anyways. I think for the best. I think we're good. I think we're done here. <laughs> yep, yep. I, 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 think that's, uh, I think that's good on us, so we are going to head into socials. Um, Yay! Go ahead and uh, like, favorite, review, comment uh, for us on any of your favorite podcasting platforms where you can find us. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spreaker, Podbay, Podomatic, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, YouTube, especially. We're on all of those things. Uh, We get a lot of views through YouTube. You know, I I didn't, I honestly didn't expect that because it's a podcast and there's no video with it. But you know, YouTube, YouTube, it's hard. that's the that's the big that's the big spreader. You, you never gotta you gotta you can't you can't forget the all the YouTube bucks that are out there and all those sorts of things. Yeah, I I just wasn't aware there was a there was a market on YouTube for things you didn't have to look at necessarily. But there you go. Um, don't don't you know YouTube Premium? No, I mean I'm aware of it, but <laughs> I mean uh, yeah. Anyways, I'm not a shill. I promise. <laughs> we will not shill for YouTube. We will instill shill for our uh, host Anchor. You can also listen to our podcast there, and they allow you to create and host podcasts of your very own very easily. Uh, hashtag not an thank ad, you, but it could be. <laughs> hashtag thank you. Anchor. Yes. Hashtag thank you, Anchor. I'll put that on the. I love on the that that's kind of become. That's at least become my kind of catchphrase with it. Of just like thank you, Anchor. Yeah, we're doing good. Um, yeah, go ahead. I completely lost my train of thought. Go ahead and send us an email. They remade it at gmail.com with uh, suggestions for future episodes that we could do on the podcast. Maybe you have something you like about the show. Maybe you have something you don't like about the show. Maybe you just want to talk. Go ahead and send us an email there, and uh, someone will read it. At some point. <laughs> Eventually. And uh, no, I actually get to them very quickly. Um, yeah, no, we, we actually care quite a lot. <laughs> and uh, go ahead and follow us on Twitter at it remade. Twitter.com, where we post uh, updates when shows are going live, potential future episodes that we could be covering, uh, full circle diagrams that I put together regarding pe- uh, people we've covered numerous times in numerous movies on the show, and uh, what we've been talking about, you know, little promo posters for movies, or maybe some uh, trailer clips uh, that we've discussed, or, you know, games. Might see, the, might see the Mario one on there at some point. Mm, Mario might be coming up soon. <laughs> Do we have an official poster oh for the Mario movie? Uh, we got, I think I got we got one the other day, yeah. Oh, I must have missed it. I saw the McDonald's. I think, thing. I think it's more specifically. I think it was specifically with Nintendo Direct. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was curious. I saw the but, McDonald's yeah. thing and I saw the trailer today. Obviously, but. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. Go, no, go, go to Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, I did see this. Tra- oh, I did see this poster. Okay. Yeah, we 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 got a poster. It's yeah. actually a pretty nice one. Yeah, I'm still. I. I'm 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 worried to have to watch this one. <laughs> oh, I'm worried and I'm still conflicted, but I will likely see it in theaters and Oh same, yeah. obviously. I'm not near I'm not near an Alamo anymore though. It sucks. Oh, that does suck. They're probably doing like all sorts of promotions like we'll give oh you God, pizza with mushrooms on it and I think there's one a few hours for me if I really wanted to care. <laughs> Let's meet up there in April. We'll we'll both drive to the to an Alamo. <laughs> Eight yeah, hour you're gonna trip. have a longer drive than me. I'm yeah, I was gonna say eight hour trek. Um, oh, it's well past eight hours. Is it? Yeah, I mean, like <laughs> considering, like considering my previous hometown was the halfway point between where I started and where I am now. I think you got closer to something like fifteen hours. Oh, damn. 
right. yeah, it's 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 a bit of a distance. Well, let's do it. I'll take the tree. Uh, <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, but yes, the, that is that is socials. I think. <laughs> Sorry, I, I waffled it right in the middle of that. That's all right. The one moment of solace that we have at the end of these, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to talk more about Mario. We need to pad these things out. They're getting shorter and shorter. Our episode used to be like an hour forty. The in laws episode was like an hour five. We got we got to pad this out, man. I mean, like, fair, <laughs> but at the same time, it also just means we're getting better at this. No, I, I agree. I think that's the case. We're better at. If I had to talk about the in law, if I had to talk about the in laws for another minute more, I would have my esophagus would have collapsed. <laughs> Normally I have some amount of like witty thing to come up with at the end, but you know what? I'm tired and I have Mexican food waiting in the other room. So I'm going to say Buenos Noches for the for the evening. Ooh, Buenos Nachos. Oh God, this is fucking. I'm sorry. I... It's, no, it's that, I walked into that one, but that, that one's deserved. <laughs> so I think as always, I am your host, Stuart. And I'm your host, Jacob. And please have a wonderful evening. Go get some dinner, whatever, or whatever time of day it is. I don't know. I'm tired. Goodbye. Good night. Be afraid. Be very afraid.